so the song we just sang, that was, uh, made me, you know what I was thinking of? In the prison with uh, Gospel Express. Man, has anybody ever done prison ministry? Singing, he hearing uh, 150 guys singing at the top of their lungs, off key, whatever, but just... That's, that's a favorite prison song. So anyway, I need to get, um, I don't know if I need a microphone or not. Is it on? No. So I am, check, doesn't have a light. Is that on? Testing. Is that on? Hello. Hello. Okay. I am recording here back to my camera. And so I'm going to use two microphones here. And I'll just cut this part out of the, of the recording. <laughs> um, but I... I'm really glad to be here. This has been, uh, it's been a good morning already. Dan mentioned the, the drive here, it's beautiful. And it was just, it was a good reminder to me of just the blessing of God. I mean, how can you, how can you miss it? <laughs> like driving through paradise. And so I'm just grateful to be here. Glad you guys are all here. This, uh, before we start, I'd, I'd like to just open up with a, a word of prayer um, and just invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Father, thank you for your blessing on us, your goodness, your grace, your provision. Thank you that you have so abundantly supplied and that we find our ourself uh, being drawn to you more and more. And I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you fill this place, that you speak to each one of the hearts here, and that you use my voice. Speak the words, that the words that are spoken would be spirit and would be truth and would be life. And so I just commit this time to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Do you guys want to hear a funny little story? I didn't, I didn't write this. I, I get this from Greg Moore, uh, who's, anyway, Greg Moore Ministries. He has an amazing sense of humor. Three surgeons are discussing among themselves who makes the best patients to operate on. The first surgeon says, electricians are the best. Everything inside them is color-coded. The second surgeon says, no, I think librarians are. Everything inside them is in alphabetical order. The third surgeon shut them up with his assessment. You're both wrong, he says. Politicians are the easiest to operate on. There's no guts, no heart, no brain, no spine. <laughs> Plus the head and rear are interchangeable. <laughs> That's funny, I don't care who you are. I do want to talk about the heart, and so hopefully you have a heart uh, 
And thinking of a stereotype like that, and, and I was actually just thinking about what is the stereotype of the church? Not inside the church, so what, not what we think of ourselves, but what does the world think of the church? Does the world see us as life-giving or life-draining? What do they see? And the, the question that I have is, what is it that controls your actions? When you go to do something, what, what's the determining factor? And I was realizing that most of the church and Christians actually don't know what repentance is. So we sang the song, Victory in Jesus, and it says, then I repented of my sins. And that's great. That's one part of it. But what is true repentance? And the question that I have just this morning is, when was the last time you repented? I, I repented on the way here. It was awesome. I, I, I love to repent. Repentance is a life-giving, refreshing washing. Not in the way that I would have grown up thinking that it was. So have you, have you been to revival meetings? I mentioned prison ministry, but have you been to revival meetings? Anybody here not been to a revival meeting? Yeah, so we've all had the, the term revival meeting. We've been called up to repentance, to repent. The way it's been used, I don't believe is accurate. Now, it may be there's a part of it there that, that if you think about it, the way it's been used in the church and in you know, revival meetings or, or gatherings is to come up and confess your sin. That that's, that's the extent of repentance. But what, what do the, the people that are, that are saying that, what are, they, what are they actually talking about? So right here, I, I, I want to invite you guys to just imagine something. If you can imagine all of the, the beliefs that you have, you, you carry them with you. Maybe you've got them strapped on you or you've got, you know, whatever. I want you to imagine getting up, taking all of your beliefs and just setting them over there by the door. Just, just set them all down. And then come back, find your seat, and you're, you're free of any beliefs. Good or bad. You, you, you don't have any beliefs at this point. Don't, don't worry, we're, we're going here for our beliefs, so if we find them in here, you can pick them up at the door. If we can't find your beliefs in here, just leave them, we're going to have a bonfire afterwards and we'll just burn all your beliefs that actually have been leaving you empty. Because many of our beliefs actually do leave us empty. So. We absolutely must do the things that the Word speaks to us, or we will not see change happen. When I think of repentance, I think of what I would have understood it to be as feeling sorry. 
So in a, in a meeting where I'm invited to repent, the sorrier I feel, the better it is, like the, the more effective it is. And that's not true. Now, we're going to get there, okay? We'll talk about this. I'm trying to mess with your, your beliefs a little bit because I want you to think of this differently than you have been. Just being sorry is an attempt to pay for it yourself. The worse I feel, the, the, if, if I make myself feel terrible, then you know I'll come up here and just feel terrible. And I'll leave here. You know what happens? You go away from this, and a week or so later, you are right back where you were, in the exact same place. Because you no longer actually feel that sorry. Not that you would plan to do it again, but just feeling sorry does not change your heart. I want to talk about the difference between sorrow and sorry. That makes sense. Godly sorrow and, and, and thinking about when I, I don't know how many times I gave my life to the Lord as a kid. I mean, every time there was, there was an altar call, man, I, I was like, well, I don't know. I, I better go do it again. I, I better go and, and feel sorry again because I'm not sure where my heart's at. And I didn't understand that repentance is a change of thinking. So when I think of change, I wanna, I'm just curious where, where your hearts are at. Think of it. Ask yourself this question. When I say the word change, is it exciting to you or is it, uh, are you fearful of it? Because change should be refreshing and exciting. This is why I said I repented on the way here, because the Lord spoke to me about something and it was a shift. <laughs> and I had been thinking, I, I'm not going to consider this right here. And he said, let me talk to you about that. And he gave me new understanding and I changed my thinking on the way here. It was awesome. I am, I am, it, it's like the, the, the sky got brighter. I realized there's more possibilities than ever before. I realized that God is so much more for me and working for me in ways that I wouldn't have considered before. It's like the guy that you talked to, Dan. You wouldn't have considered that guy to be a candidate to pray for you. Maybe it's his looks, maybe his mannerisms, you know, whatever. We, we, we push things out because they don't fit our exact expectations. But God wants to change our hearts. He wants to change our thinking. So, the Greek word metanoia is the word for repentance. And it means a change of mind as it appears to one who repents of a purpose he has formed or of something he has done. So, something he has done. There is repentance for sins. So I'm not canceling that out as one of the reasons to repent. But when we only focus on sins, when we only focus on feeling sorry, we miss the joy. 
See, the joy is what gives us the reason to come back. The joy is what's exciting. When we are repenting and turning toward our Father, repentance for sins is, if I can say it this way, almost automatic. Because our hearts are drawing to Him, we have no desire for the sins. When we focus only on feeling sorry, or if I can say it this way, shaming, we actually miss the joy and we will try to avoid it. So, I have a call to repentance today that I want to, I, I, I really want to invite you to repentance. And I want it to be inspiring. I don't want it to be this drag or this, um, as you've seen it before. Remember, your experiences and beliefs are over at the door. Don't see this in the light of what you've, you've seen a call to repentance before. Listen to the heart of the Father. He's drawing you into wonderful, amazing change. See, I had another message prepared for this morning. And it was, uh, it was a, about encountering the presence of God and, and engaging in uh, experiencing Him. But He told me, that's not what you speak on. <laughs> and I, I was looking through some messages that I had preached before to some other groups and there's a message called Know Your Heart and he, he was highlighting that message to me and I was realizing that, you know, when I am willing to be honest with what's in my heart, I am then willing to change. It's when I am afraid of the the shame of repentance, that I block it, and I am not willing then to look into my own heart or let anyone else look into my heart. You know what that is? That's actual pride. That's thinking in a self-serving way that I don't want to experience the perceived pain of repentance. There are two different things that lead to repentance. And when I was started um, studying this, I kept thinking of, it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. And the Lord took me to 2 Corinthians 7, verses 8 through 12. So I'd like you to turn there. 2 Corinthians 7, verses 8 through 12, if you have your Bibles. So verse 8, he says, for even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What vehement desire. What zeal. What vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. 
Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. Now, what is it that Paul is talking about here? What, what had he told them that made them sorry? I went backwards then, looking at, okay, and I got to 1 Corinthians, the, the letter before, and he, had, he was correcting them for sexual immorality. They were, they were doing things that were absolutely wrong. And he was correcting them. He was saying, why are you doing this? Do you not understand what you're doing? And he was, he was pretty harsh with them. And he said, stop it. You have to stop it. But... When, when I read this, these verses, I realize the heart of Paul was not to shame them for their sexual immorality. Yes, it was wrong, and yes, it needed to stop. But he was not shaming them. He was helping them. He was drawing them into a much better, much better way. So when I think of what happens in a church when there's sexual immorality, has anybody been a part of church discipline? What does church discipline look like? I've, I've seen it. And the primary tool that I've seen in church discipline is shame. Let's shame them into not doing that again. Let's make them sorry. And let's keep them sorry so they don't do it again. Have you ever seen that? I, I've seen it so many times, and I, my heart breaks at the shame that has been poured out on people. You know who the accuser of the brethren is? It's the devil. The devil loves to shame Christians. He loves to shame you. Because guess what that does? It causes you to forget who you really are. The message this morning about this, the, the testimony of who you really are, who God says you are. See, repentance reminds you of your identity. True repentance, not shame. Shame is sorrow of the world. What did it say? The sorrow of the world, in verse 10, but the sorrow of the world produces death. That death happens in your heart when you're shamed. We come from a culture of shame. What happens if a person doesn't follow the rules of the church exactly? Shame them. Shame them. In the, in the community. Shame them in the church. Shame them in their family. Make them sorry. That's not godly. That's devilish. It's evil. But true repentance, true godly sorrow, what does it produce? It produces diligence, clearing of yourselves, indignation, fear, vehement desire, zeal, vindication. Now, I know these are, this is in the New King James, these are words that we don't typically use. But when I read those, I think hopeful thoughts. I think excitement. I think like, 
if, if I'm on, uh, if, if I'm playing sports or something and, and someone has qualities like this, they become the star of the show. They, they're the ones that are willing to put in the extra effort to, to uh, push beyond their barriers. So there is a true zeal that comes from godly sorrow. Where you, you don't let yourself even consider things that you know are wrong. And it's not because of shame. It's because of who you are. It's because of who your father is. Paul even said, in all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Do you know what that means? It means that they had actually changed. Not just kept anybody from seeing it. <laughs> not just blocked it so that hopefully, hopefully nobody knows. They actually changed. And I would say that change was permanent. Do you believe that change can be permanent? Where does change happen? In the heart. Thank you, Dan. The change that happens in the heart. Do you realize that outward change is automatic? Outward change is automatic. As soon as the heart changes, the outside changes. We've been changing people on the outside, thinking it's going to affect their heart, and it never will. It's backwards. Shame is an attempt to change people on the outside. And all it does is harden their heart, make them bitter and angry at the people around them, angry at God, angry at themselves. See, godly sorrow produces joy. Godly sorrow produces change in the heart. If my heart changes on something and I come up to the same situation, my response is according to my heart. So to everyone outside, you would look at me and say, well, he just changed automatically. It's because my heart changed. This is why repentance is so refreshing, wonderful. Repentance, change your thinking. Don't just think, it, think of it as being sorry. Think of it as changing your thinking, changing your mind, allowing your heart to change. True repentance is something that God requires of us in order to grow. See, the things that I, I could come and speak on, all the amazing principles in the, in the kingdom of God. We could talk about the, the goodness of God. We could talk about healing. We could talk about God's blessing and his, his amazing provisions. And we, could, we could just go on and on about the principles of the kingdom. But you know what would happen in your life with those principles? They would stop short of being accomplished. When I think of people asking the question, I've heard people, and I've even asked the question, why is it that the principles of God, of the kingdom of God, are not working? Why are they not active in my life? Why don't, don't I see them happening? It's easy. It's repentance. It requires a change of thinking in order to accomplish, in order to access the principles of the kingdom. If your thinking doesn't change, you could learn all you want, and it will not change your experience. And you guys have been learning a lot. I've been learning a lot the last little while. I, I just, 
The more I learn, the more I want to learn. But if it doesn't change your experience, what good is it? If you go and do the same things that you've been doing and it doesn't change, why do you keep learning? See, church has not been represented properly to the world. We have, I, I said something to Ezra this morning, that if we're coming to church and we, we, our experience is the same, day after day, week after week or whatever, year after year, and, and we, we could just transplant and just go from, from year to year and it looks the same. The church has become a geriatric ward. Just keep people happy till they die. Just give them end of life meds. They'll eventually die. Why? Is that, is that God's view of his bride? See, that's what the devil wanted. That's why the devil created religion. See, God hates religion. He hates it. Religion and, and setting something up as this is your requirement. These are your requirements in order to, to meet God. The things that have happened inside religion have been idols. They've, they've basically turned the people's hearts away from relationship with God to I'm going to follow this thing and I'll look right and I'll be acceptable to the people around me. But they really don't know their father. They really don't know him. Their hearts have turned to something other than him. That's what the devil wants because he wants you powerless. See, God doesn't He, he, he doesn't approach us in the way that we think he would. And he never, he never will. There's, there's so many times that I, I think, is that, is that you? Like, are, what, are, you really, are you really doing this? And I realize it's him. But he's not safe. Like we think of something being safe. There's the Narnia stories. Are you guys familiar with Narnia? The Chronicles of Narnia. My favorite quote from all of them, and this would have been the audio drama uh, that was done that I think Focus on the Family had been a part of doing this audio drama. My favorite line is when Mr. Beaver is talking to the children and he says, Aslan is on the move. And they say, Aslan? Who's Aslan? And he says, he's a lion. He's the great lion. And they say, oh, a lion? Oh, is he quite safe? And he says, safe? Well, of course he isn't safe. But he's good. That's what I love. That's my God. That's my Savior. He is not safe. Not at all. But he's good. He will not lead you into a trap. He will lead you to the edge of the cliff and have you jump but he will not lead you into a trap. He will not lead you to death. It may feel like death. And unless you're willing to give up your life for his sake and for the gospel, you won't find the true life. But you have to give up what you have held on to as this is what's sacred. You need to kill the sacred cows. 
You know what the sacred cows are? They're actually demon-possessed pigs. And he wants to run them off the cliff into the, into the drink. Seriously, we've held on to demon-possessed pigs, thinking, this is what makes me acceptable to God. It doesn't. It doesn't. He is not concerned with the religious structures that we have set up. He does not, that does not draw your heart to him. Allow him to lead you through repentance. And he takes you one step at a time. He knows what you are, are able to handle. He knows how to lead you. He's a good shepherd. But he will lead you to change, period. And that should never stop. If you are not repenting tomorrow, my question is, why not? If you're not repenting the next day, and the next day, and the next day, it should be a daily thing. You should get, get in, in close proximity with the Lord, snuggle into Him and listen to His heart, and He will show you something to change your thinking. If you're not willing to change your thinking, you actually, if I can be honest about it, you are believing that you know more than God. That what you believe and what you think is good and is good enough. I was talking with Caleb Braun and he was, he was giving some examples of missionary life in Europe. And he said it's amazing how much pride there is. Where people, they, they just say, I'm a good person. I'm good. I, I'm good. I, I don't need anything. I don't need God. I'm good. I'm a good person. And at first I was thinking, okay, that's, I, I could see that. I've talked to plenty of people on the street. I talk to people in airplanes. I talk to people, when, I, when I'm interacting with people that I, I don't know, I love to just go strike up a conversation. What have I got to lose? Them not liking me? They already don't know me. And I'm walking away from them. It's wonderful. And it's ones that the Lord has put, he's pointed out to me. Go talk to them. And I've experienced that where people have said, I'm a good person. So in that uh, uh, conversation that we have, both with another person or internally in our own hearts, I see the comparison with people in church. I mean, I, I keep all of the rules. I, I look right. I do all the things that, that I'm supposed to do. I'm a good person. I'm okay. I'm good enough. Do you see how a dead end that is? Do you realize that's, that's not relationship? That's just look right. And if you make a mistake, just be sorry about it for a while. And you'll make another mistake. You'll probably make that mistake again. Just, just be sorry about it then. And you'll be all right. That's a perpetual cycle of sin, death, and shame. And it doesn't stop by being sorry. By exercising the repentance that we would have seen growing up, that I would have seen growing up, and 
I'm lumping in conservative circles because I grew up in that way. So that's what makes sense to me. If you grew up in a different way, in a non-religious environment, then you're going to have to stick with this and kind of try to understand that. But growing up in an environment where there are requirements on every person to look a certain way and be a certain way, that draws people's hearts away from God. And if you've believed that, again, remember, you don't have your beliefs on you. They're over by the door. Let the Lord reveal to you the joy that he has for you when you allow him to lead you into repentance. True, godly sorrow leading to repentance. And that is coupled with the goodness of God. See, you can have godly sorrow when you know the goodness of God. You can't have one or the other by itself. You need both. If you just think of the goodness of God, I could just have a message here on the goodness of God. And we sang a song this morning, the goodness of God. When all you think of is just the goodness of God and you push aside the things that he's trying to point out to you, you may have made a mistake this week and he's going, I want to lead you through that. I'm going to lead you out of that. I want to help you. Let me help. Let me change your thinking. And you say, yeah, I don't want to deal with that. I just want to think of your goodness, God. You're just good. You're good. And guess what you say? Because this is one of the things that, as a church, my view of, of Jordan life is, you guys are learning amazing things about God and, and refreshing things about the goodness of God. They're really good. But if all you think about is, ah, we're all just, it's okay. The goodness of God, it's just, it just covers everything. The goodness of God. You're missing the change that he's wanting to do in your heart. You're missing the actual thing that will lead you to healing in your body. So you have to be willing to change, not just whitewash it all and say, ah, it's all good. It's all good. Let him lead you into godly sorrow. The other day, uh, the other uh, weekend, I was preaching an online conference and uh, I was getting ready for it. And it, it, it got late. Everyone had left the building. And I was playing a song and just in the presence of the Lord. And I began to weep. Just, I, I, don't, I don't even know why. I, I, I wasn't even thinking of a specific thing. I was just overcome with the presence of the Lord, overcome with, with all of it. And I began to weep in his presence. And I'm glad nobody was there because... I actually took my devices, put them in another room, and I was, I was walking the sanctuary. And if I can say it this way, I was wailing in the presence of the Lord. I, was, I have a pretty loud voice if I get going. And uh, it was so refreshing. I don't know how to describe it to you. Have you cried in the presence of God? Truly, let yourself full volume cry out to him. You need to rent the building or you know, use the building, 
and, and come here when nobody's here and lose yourself in the presence of the Lord and let yourself be loud. I'm not kidding you. I'm serious. Do it somewhere. I realized how much was pent up inside of me before that. And I wasn't thinking, oh, I've got all kinds of problems that are pent up inside of me. I just was, I, I, I just needed to express myself in the presence of God. And I didn't have any words. They were groanings. <laughs> it was deep. If I'd have tried to put words to it, it would, have, it would have seemed pale. It would have seemed inadequate. But I expressed my heart. My heart was able to express itself to God. That was repentance. And it was so refreshing. It was 1.30 in the morning. I went to bed at 3 o'clock and got up at 5 and preached at 6. This was in another country, so they had a different time zone. And I absolutely did not feel tired. I preached for three and a half hours, standing, standing behind the pulpit, preaching, and I, I didn't feel tired. I felt refreshed, overjoyed, full of the presence of God. Because I had allowed my heart to express itself in His presence. See, he is inviting you to encounter him. But you will not encounter him without repentance. Without true godly sorrow joined in with the goodness of God. When you know the goodness of God and you know godly sorrow truly, when you, when you allow your heart to experience both of those things, that is what draws you into the presence of God. This is an invitation. I have two other verses here in Proverbs. Actually, I'm, I'm not even going to read the one whole verse. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 4, 23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. So the word issues is a bubbling forth. Okay, it's a it's it's like an artesian well. It's like coming up out of the ground. Keep your heart with all diligence. Diligence. Maybe I can read the verse the the, the words that we read before. Diligence, clearing of yourselves, indignation, fear, vehement desire, zeal, vindication. Keep your heart with all diligence. Do you know what it is? I, I have, I've seen it as just being bullheaded. And I can be kind of bullheaded sometimes. If I get my mind set on something, I'm going to go after it. Competitive, enjoy, uh, you know, sports and, and motorsports, driving fast, flying, jumping out of airplanes. Those are exciting to me. Okay? That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is a burning desire to be like your father. A burning desire to know him deeply so much that you become like him. So, there's a statement here I want you to think of. And I'm, making, I'm, I'm pausing here for this preface. Think of this statement. Everything in your life today 
has come out of what is in your own heart. Everything in your, in your life today is an example of what's in your heart. If there's something in your life that you don't like, if there's a perpetual sin, if there's something that you keep doing, it's an example of what's in your own heart. See, what you see on the outside is what is actually on the inside when you're by yourself, when you're, when, when you're not putting on a show for someone. When you're in, an, in a, a situation where you can do anything and nobody knows it, you can do anything you want. When you, when you look at the, the actions that happen there, that's exactly what's in your heart. And it can be, if you think of it only in a negative sense and only in a sense of shame or only in a sense of uh, trying to do better, you'll never find it in just trying to do better. See, coming to God with godly sorrow, knowing the goodness of God and allowing Him to change your thinking, He will shift your mindset. He'll actually give you a, a way through that you, you, you didn't anticipate. There'll be something and it becomes exciting. And you'll look back and you'll say, this is amazing. I'm not even close to the same person that I was. If you're the same as you were a year ago, or if a year from now, you're the same as you are today, you are not like your father. You are not becoming like him. And the reason is you probably don't know him. Now, I'm not saying these things to shame you, okay? I'm not saying these things to draw you down. I want this to be an inspiration. I want you to look at it and say, I have zeal to know my Father. I want you to, to, to feel that burning desire and say, I'm not okay, but that statement that you said is true. I don't know him, and I'm not okay with that. Let that zeal that indignation, let that rise up in you. Be indignant to the fact that you're not exactly how God has created you to be. There are things missing. The principles of the kingdom of God are not working in your life. Be indignant about that. Let your heart be filled with zeal and go after it. Allow Him to lead you. See, He wants you to know Him, but if you are stuck in a mindset, you will only know him at the level that that mindset will allow you to. So if you think of the issues of life springing up out of your heart, think of a, a spring of water coming up out of the ground. That's what I was thinking of when I read that verse. And I was thinking, you know what? If you have a uh, ground that, let's say the ground is pure, there's, it, it's, the equivalent of sand-filtered water. All right, this, the, the, the water coming out is crystal clear and pure. And you just dump a barrel of oil right there. What happens to that water? Or you dump some contaminants, some toxins, right where that water is coming up. The water coming up from the ground is still pure. That's... God's source, life, coming through you, He doesn't change. His purity doesn't change. 
it's just as crystal clear as ever. But when it goes through the contaminants in your own heart, what comes out is contaminated. Now, am I saying this to shame you? Of course not. I think I've said it enough. I'm not trying to shame you. I'm trying to get you to look realistically, honestly, what does the flow of water from your life look like? What does it look like? See, God's wanting to purify your heart so that as His pure water flows through, you become a life source to those around you. He doesn't shame you for the contaminants. That's why Jesus died. He knows, and He wants to free you from them. But if you're not willing to change, not willing to look at them honestly and say, that is what's in there, you'll never change. And you may as well go home because it's not going to change. That is a frustrating thing. If you get to, the older you get, I'll just say. If, like the older you get, if you look back and you say, I'm the same as I was. Do you know what a midlife crisis is? That's a guy realizing, hey, he got to a, a time in his life that he had looked forward to, and he's no better than he had been, and it doesn't look any better going forward. So what's he do? He tries to change on his own. Leaves his wife, buys a sports car, goes gambling, gets in debt. That's a stereotype, I guess. But hey, think of it. What's driving him to that? Desperation to change. He's desperate because he wants to see better things. And he's looking at his life saying, I'm not seeing it. So are you seeing the fruit in your life? Are you seeing the goodness of God actually flowing from you? What, what about the people around you? How would they describe you to me? So if you are not living pure, you don't know your father. See, he wants you to get to know him, truly get to know him, to understand him and he's good. Let him lead you into repentance. If this message seems depressing to you, you still don't know what repentance is. Somehow, the message that is in my heart trying to convey this to you is, is disconnected if this message is, is discouraging to you. Do you know that you can live in the fullness of the fruits of the Spirit? You can live full of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. You can live full of those, not on your own power. See, I, I used to think, and, and people would say, well, don't pray for patience, because God will give you something that will test your patience. That's not true. Do you know how I get patience? I get as close to my Father as I can. And guess what comes out of me? Patience. I don't have to try for patience. It happens. The closer I get to him, the more I have patience. If there's other fruits of the Spirit, joy. Where does your joy come from? What about love? Can you display love to those who are unloving? How do you get more? Peace? You want peace? People do all kinds of things to find peace. 
They'll turn to addictions. They'll turn to hobbies or you name it to find peace. Do you know how you find peace? Get as close to your father as you can. And peace happens in your heart. See, when you know him, you will know the fullness of the power of the resurrection. You will know the life of God. Do you know what eternal life is? That I may know him and Jesus Christ, his son. That I may know the Father. That's eternal life. How do you get healing? You have healing? That the, uh, you have something in your body that needs healed? How do, you, how do you accomplish that? How does that become a reality in your life? Get as close to your Father as you can and get to know Him and healing will manifest. It doesn't take struggle. It doesn't take trying to be something. But the closer you get to Him, the more you're going to find that needs changed in your own heart. If you resist, if you say, ah, oh, that, that, that hurts too much, be filled with godly sorrow and the goodness of God. Is this making sense? Let him show you himself and you will have godly sorrow, truly, and you will have zeal and desire for what's right and good. If all, of it, all it produces is shame, you have missed the goodness of God. You have missed true repentance. But if just thinking, I'm okay, I'm good, I go to church and I look good, if that's enough, you will never see true fruits of the Spirit evident in your life in abundance. There's something overwhelming about having the fruits of the Spirit bubbling out of your life, truly seeing them evident. People find you as a source. They come to you because you're bringing life. We have... We have the ability to do this, but it becomes the decision in your heart of whether you're willing to open your heart to the Lord. So I wanna, uh, I'm gonna read 2 Peter 3.9 here. And I'm sure you've heard this verse. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, he is constantly pulling for you, constantly. No matter, how, no matter how much you've blocked him, no matter how much you have resisted, no matter, it doesn't matter the, the experiences that you've had, all of the things, he's right, he comes right into your situation and he's long-suffering toward you, drawing you into repentance. True repentance, a change of thinking changing your heart, allowing your heart to change. That's actually one of my favorite phrases in the Bible. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. When I meet people on the street and they say, well, you don't know what I've done. I'm too far gone. Never. Never. God's promises are for you. Okay? If there's something in your life that you say, I don't know how it can change, I don't know how it can change. It's not, it, it's, it's gone on too long. The things have happened too many times. You say, it's, it's, I've tried it. I've tried to change. 
repent of that. Make sense? Repent of that thinking. There's nothing in your life that is too entrenched that he can't change it. How powerless do you think he is? Allow him to lead you into repentance. He will reveal things to your heart. Dan, do you want to come up and just start? I don't know if we can just play a little guitar or something. Um, I, I want to invite you, but not in the same way that you think, you've been, have experienced in the past. I'm going to keep saying this. I had to really get over this in my own heart of what does repentance mean. So if, if, if I have an altar call and I say, I want to invite you to repent, the moment you stand up, the moment you come forward, do you know what goes through your mind? What's everybody going to think? Ah, they might know that there's something that I've been doing that's wrong. Yeah, they might know that all that is, do you know what it is? Shame. They might they might think shameful things toward me. But I want to invite you to a place of repentance. Again, this is, this is full of joy. A place of coming forward to being made more like your Father, to allowing Him to show you something in your heart that has been keeping you from Him. When I invite and say, Okay, the altar is open. Come up and pray. Don't let me shame you in any way. Whether you stay sitting or whether you come forward. Okay, let this be a, a desire in your own heart. But you should come running to the front. You should say, I want to know what's in my heart that's drawing me away from him. I want, I want to know him. It has nothing to do with what sin is in your life. What what, what, can we, what can we look down on you about? This has nothing to do with that. But when you come forward saying, I want to know you, Father. I want to know your heart and I want you to know my heart. I want to open myself up to you. Show me. Show me one thing that needs change. When you come forward with that in your heart, He is then able to speak to you. No one's looking at you thinking, oh, I wonder what sin's in their life. Get over it. Okay, it's not about that. Repentance should be a daily, joyful, life-giving, freeing, opening thing that we come into the presence of the Lord and we realize Jesus died so that we can become more like Him, so that we can know Him truly, so that we can know the Father. I really want this to be a, 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 an invitation of joy, an invitation of, of vehement desire to know Him, zeal to know the Father. Do you guys have a song that you, you uh, can play and sing? If you want prayer for something, just, just come and get me or someone else and we'll pray with you.
But I, I don't have a need to pray with anyone. If you want that, please don't leave thinking, I wish I could have prayed with someone or prayed with me. But let the Lord speak to your heart. This is an invitation to repentance. True, godly sorrow laced in with the goodness of God for Him to draw you into His presence to know more of Him and to become like Him.